Hello and welcome, everyone, to uh, um, yet another. Oh, Carrie, I have big news for you. Uh, <laughs> I don't know how if you like this or have heard this, but my uh, my listeners on my site have affectionately come to refer to this as the K Raj podcast. Yes, I have. Yes, the K Raj, <laughs> <laughs> which is a, a portmanteau of our names, and also a shout out to your uh, your uh, talk radio background. So yes, this is another K Raj podcast with my friend Carrie Crowley and myself, Roger Munter. Carrie, how are things in the in the cold rainy Northeast? I was going to say, Roger, uh, the move to the Northeast for the most part has been. Okay, you know, the adjustment to watching Giants games more so at seven in the morning than at uh, seven at night has been a little different. But I don't know how you do the winter because I looked out my window all day while I was working and it was miserable. It it was just (laughs) there was never sun. It never got above 40 degrees. I mean, what are you doing here, Roger? Well, I mean, we have mostly had a gorgeous, gorgeous fall here. It's been long. It's been warm. It's been dry. Um, we are going to go into some of that weather now, and and I just got the 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 winter forecast from uh, from the Washington Post, which is a snowy winter. So oh. you get to experience a real Northeast winter this year. Not what I wanted to hear. I'll tell you that much. I, I'm going to spend a solid month back in San Francisco, so I'm ready to act. You, that's the Arizona State in you. It's like exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Oh. Well, Carrie, uh, it's been a while since we chatted. A lot of things are, are starting to get rolling into the off season. What do you want to talk about uh, this week? What's what's well, on your mind? Uh, there's so much to discuss. I think we could talk about the makeup of Bob Melvin's staff and the kind of ramifications that could have for the minor leagues and player development. Uh, we could talk about trade candidates. We could talk about the Arizona Fall League, your trip out to the desert. I just missed you in Arizona. Yes, you did. Due to a rather unfortunate birthday of one of my <laughs> friends. Uh, but I think we ought to talk about the, the Giants' decision to uh, tender contracts to to all these guys, bringing back Mike Yastrzemski, Austin Slater, uh, just the whole group, and how you view that, and now maybe how you see the possible trade candidates, and all the decisions that have been made since the last K-Raj podcast. You know, it's there are two very easy and yet uh different ways of looking at that i think on a as we talked about this before on a player by player basis all of the tender decisions were pretty easy i mean all of those guys are value at the dollar but having them all back does start to clutter up a roster that needs change needs some fresh air needs some movement on it uh it almost demands some kind of trade, I think, to avoid putting you right back into a, a run it back situation. So I, every one of those decisions makes sense. I think we all saw them coming, but something needs to move, um, particularly in the outfield. They have two straight years. Uh, if you if you are a fan of baseball references, uh, wins above average page like I am, two straight years really run out one of the worst outfield assemblages in baseball offensively and defensively and it's got to change and it's hard to change because with Michael Conforto opting in and uh, contracts now with both Yaz and Slater and Hanniger on a long-term deal uh, you're really blocked there from the get-go so something's got to happen there I don't know what do you what do you see the icebreaker path forward for that outfield well I, I think you said something really important at the beginning of that which was 
you know, baseline, all those decisions make sense. Bringing back Mike Yastrzemski at close to $8 million makes sense. Bringing back Austin Slater at $4 million, that makes sense. Running back the same group does not make sense. I think we're at a really interesting point in Major League Baseball. And this offseason has the potential to just have widespread ramifications for the haves and have-nots of the sport. Because we just saw a deal where Aaron Nola got seven years for seven hundred for $172 million. And I was kind of surprised that the deal was that steep. I didn't see Aaron Nola making that much money. But I've also read so many other stories about teams whose TV deals are kind of falling apart. They were with yeah. Valley Sports, who are ultimately going to have to cut costs somewhere. We're going to have to trade assets and who are going to have to say, hey, if our payroll was 170 last year, it might have to be 150 this year. If our payroll was 200 last year, it might need to be closer to 170 this year. And I think there are a lot of teams, say the Minnesota Twins, the Cleveland Guardians, uh, the Chicago White Sox and the AL Central Division, who might make sense as potential landing spots for these outfielders that the Giants have. And whether it's a Yastrzemski, whether it's a Slater, whether it's a, a Louis Matos and an Elliot Ramos, guys with mm -hmm. high upside who haven't yet really realized their potential at the big league level. And obviously uh, a guy like Matos is a long way from having the opportunity to really do that. I think the Giants are going to have to get creative and really think long and hard about how they structure this outfield next year, because they may have to take the raw end of a deal or, or take <laughs> the side of a deal where you're saying, wow, we're betting on a lot more upside with this prospect uh, and it may boom, it may bust, but we're not bringing Austin Slater back in the pinch hit capacity to be our 17th player on this roster for the fifth straight season. And yeah. I, I think that's ultimately going to be the type of decisions that we see made come January and early February, because I think they have to wait out Otani. They have to wait out Yamamoto. They have to wait out Jung-Hoo Lee and these big free agents to know who they're going to have on their roster, because say they don't get a Lee or a Bellinger, then we could be looking at a situation where the outfield may be as good as it gets. Right? <laughs> you know, you, you point out an interesting thing, which is the, you know, the backdrop of media distribution, which has driven a lot of the, the revenue aspect of this industry is falling apart, but it's not falling apart equally everywhere. Mm -hmm. Um you know, every year we get to look at the the books of the Atlanta Braves, and they recently had their third quarter earnings made public. And one of the things that stuck out to me was that their revenue from their Bally's channel went up this year, um, whereas you see places like San Diego and Arizona where it's it's falling apart. It doesn't no longer exists. So it's not that every team doesn't have Bally's, and every team that has Bally's isn't necessarily in the same situation. It's really going to be case by case. Uh, as to what's going on behind the scenes, which in most of those teams, we don't know. Uh, but you're right. You could start seeing teams trade really good players uh, because there's stuff going on behind behind the scenes that we don't know about. Um, but I want to I want to go back to something you just said, which is you have to wait and wait, wait for Otani. Wait. I don't know if the Giants can do a lot of waiting this year because it does feel like to me one of the demands of the winter for them is going to be a degree of boldness maybe that we haven't seen before they've been, their model has always been to wait for value to come to them. I don't know if they can do that because it seems to me that the, the worst outcome of this off season is they're left holding the bag and, and they didn't get anything done. I mean, 
last year or going into the 2023 season, we heard, you know, we need to get younger and more athletic. We may need to make trades because trades is where athletes happen. And none of that happened. And you end up, you know, with what happened, you know, the, the sort of Hanniger Conforto, the, the small short. Once uh, you see it, the light bulb's going to go on Roger. (laughs) And, and this year's pitching market, I know people say it's, it's rich. It's rich in number of bodies. There are a lot of pitchers on the market, but when you compare it to demand, it's not a big supply. And I think your your point on Nola is is spot on. The top guys are gonna people are gonna find themselves without a chair uh, when the music stops pretty quick. Um, once you get out of that top tier and into the second tier, and you're looking for top tier players because. There are a lot of teams that don't need one front of the rotation guy. They need multiple, you know, the Dodgers, the Yankees, the Red Sox, the Cardinals, big spenders need a lot of pitching and it's going to thin out really, really fast. And I don't know if waiting is the way to approach this market. You might want to try and get in front of it. I I think you're absolutely right. And I may have said that just out of, I don't know, getting accustomed to the way that Farhan Zaidi operates, where you said that value comes to them. And, you know, you you look at a guy like a Kevin Gossman when they signed him, not Kevin Gossman of today, but Kevin Gossman when he had been non-tendered by the Atlanta Braves and hooked on with the Cincinnati Reds bullpen. Believe it or not, that was less than (laughs) four years ago that that guy was doing that. You know, Drew Smiley, Drew Pomeranz, those type of pitchers. I, I think that the market thus far, albeit relatively limited market, has been super interesting because you do have Nola getting the larger than expected deal. And then you've got the St. Louis Cardinals gobbling up two innings eaters. <laughs> I, I, I don't know what to call Kyle Gibson and Lance Lynn and what those moves are, but I would have thought that the Cardinals would be one of the teams that would be really aggressive in pursuing a, a Blake Snell or a, a Yamamoto or an Aaron Nola, even this off season. And, you know, they said they're going to get multiple starting pitchers. They got multiple guys who will give them 150 <laughs> and a four or five. Like that's, that's what they got. And so the giants aren't, they shouldn't be going to get those players. They should either just say, Hey, we're going to go for the top guys, or it's going to be a heavy dose of Tristan Beck, Mason Black, Kyle Harrison. And by the second half of the season, Carson Wisenhunt in this rotation and Keaton Wynn, you're in the mix too. So I, I, I think it's gotta be a, I don't want to say a boom or bust off season because I don't want to call those young guys busts. I think it could be very exciting, but it's yeah. got to be, we're putting together a playoff caliber team or it's very clearly a rebuilding year because we missed out on the guys that we wanted. I, I do think several things you're kind of pointing out are coming back to the idea that the industry is starting to value bulk when it comes to pitching. I mean, Aaron Nola got, the contract he got because he is very reliable. I mean, he's a number two, but he's a really reliable number two that, you know, you're going to get a lot of innings from Lance Lynn. uh, And and, yeah, the guys, the Cardinal signing, not number twos, but they're going to give you innings. You know that, you know, that, you know, the last couple of Cy Young awards, I mean, Logan Webb gets the number two this year, Sandy Alcantara last year, both based on kind of delivering bulk innings. And so it, it clearly does look like the industry is, moving back to rewarding bulk for bulk's sake, I think. The Cardinals are really interesting, and I don't know if you want to move to talking about trades, but it feels to me like for at least five years now, the talk of the offseason and the talk of the trade deadline is the Cardinals have too many hitters, they have no pitching, they have to get more swing and miss on their staff, there's obvious trade to be made here, and they virtually never do it. 
and they keep running back this same pitch to contact, low stuff pitching staff, and they they hang on to their their hitting prospects like dear life. I know a lot of people think that's the kind of thing the Giants need to be getting in, moving pitching for hitting. It's hard to find a lot of examples around the game of people moving good, young, established hitters for pitching. People really hold on to those guys. Yeah. And maybe the one guy who's available and there is something that I want to touch on with regard to the bulk inning stuff, but maybe the one guy who's available is Jonathan India in the trade market right now. And the giants would seemingly be a match for the Cincinnati Reds. And uh, there's a guy Cabrera, I think who plays for the twins. I might be getting the name wrong, Um, but there, there are guys who can play multiple positions and India is one of them. And the question is, do you give up a, a, Mason Black and a Keaton Wynn or, you know, two guys in one deal to get an established major league hitter who's got a a ceiling on what he can do for you, but he can move around the diamond. And I say maybe yes with India, because even though he wouldn't be a great shortstop, you might have to have a veteran alternative, someone who's played the position to Marco Luciano. And I don't know if you saw the graphic the other day, Roger, but the best free agent available at the shortstop position is Paul (laughs) DeYoung. So... Yeah, I mean, I think India is so there are two types of guys who do get traded. One are the the ones who haven't established themselves. And the other is the guys who've sort of shown that they have certain flaws that maybe don't they don't fit in anymore. So India is the type of guy you can see getting moved. Guys like Dylan Carlson, who haven't Mm -hmm. really lived up to what they're doing. Maybe even someone like. And probably not given Texas's uh, World Series, but Leotis Tavares, uh, interesting guy in that he had a tremendous first half last year after years and years of a lot of prospect hype and then kind of flopped badly in the second half. Um, so it's those guys who either aren't really established as good players or maybe are getting into arbitration years and and uh, teams are not seeing the fit. It's guys with warts, I think, is who yeah. are really going to be available. I don't know if there's anybody who's like the shortstop version of that uh, that would be interesting for the for the Giants to go after. Um, I don't know. Does anybody hop to your mind as like somebody who's a shortstop, who can play shortstop, who might be available? That's a tough uh, Andres Jimenez on the free agent market? Like, I, I think we're dealing with, you know, a, a, t- a tough market here. I will say, I want to correct myself. It was not Cabrera. It was Jorge Polanco. Jorge Polanco. Yeah. He plays second and third. So he doesn't play shortstop. He so, used to play shortstop. Um, yeah. Wilmer Flores used to play shortstop. <laughs> <laughs> Michael Moore used to play shortstop. <laughs> there we go. Yeah. But the, I, I think that, that that's going to be my homework assignment for our next episode is finding the right shortstop to potentially be a backup coming over via trade for Marco Luci- with Marco Luciano because uh we'll get into this too the winter the winter league numbers haven't been outstanding for Luciano and there are going to be question marks well let's let's talk about that i was so i was just on a, another podcast uh, a shout out to the the, the walk up pod and and Justin's wonderful work uh, and he 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 asked me about that is like do you get worried about winter league performance um and my answer is always you'd prefer to see success than, than not success, but I don't know what to do with off-season ball. It's a weird environment. Players kind of float in and out. I feel like Pablo Sandoval used to only show up for the playoff games. Um, and your bodies aren't used to performing then. So, I mean, you've 
from players you've talked to, how do they feel about the off season? Do they care about performance? Is it just kind of the vibes and the fun? What's, what do they, what do players look at it as? I, I don't think I ever heard anyone really care about performance unless you were talking to the Vanderbilt guys and what they did at the inner squad major league scrimmages <laughs> out from Vanderbilt. So like Mike Petrensky, <laughs> Kirk Casale, talking about taking seven that kind of a thing. Uh, they, they really don't care about anything until February. And January is just spent making sure that, you know, their body's in great shape. And if a guy goes down and gets extra at bats in winter league, great. You know, you might, it might be easier to get your timing back when February comes around, but as long as you're staying in shape, you're not really worried as much about the results. So I think it's probably a little different with a guy like Luciano where the sample size on what we've seen from him at high levels of baseball is so small that sure. You'd love to see him have four home runs and a five game stretch and say, yeah, I can see why the Giants are making him the everyday shortstop, but you can also look at the free agent trade market at shortstop and say, yeah, I could see why the Giants are making Will Wilson their starting day shortstop. <laughs> so <laughs> I think that it's pretty easy to uh, to just say, okay, it, it is what it is with Luciano down at winter ball. If there are concerns in spring training, then that might be when you have to say, hey, the, there's too much swing and miss. The bat path doesn't look right. This isn't something that we can coach up in a week or two. This is going to take a month or two at AAA. That's when the position might become a concern. Yeah, so it's a little difficult with Luciano because he just hasn't played a ton the last two years. Um, I think we do have an established pattern that he takes a while to adjust to a level. Like yeah. we have seen that from really the very beginning of his career. And it increases a little bit at each level that there's a learning curve there for him where the numbers are going to be a little ugly. Um, but he's also, you know, he hit two, 20 or something, 230 this year uh, in AA and AAA. Uh, he's hitting 170 in in, in the Dominican League. Um, you know, it's possible that the best version we're going to see of him is a, is a power over average, low average, good power, acceptable shortstop. You know, maybe like this is a weird comp, but what if he's like a shortstop Kyle Schwarber? Yeah. Hey, I would take that. That wouldn't be bad, right? <laughs> I would absolutely take a shortstop Kyle Schwarber. <laughs> um, you wanted to talk about the bulk hitting, so why don't we swing back there? Yeah. Uh, because we did skip over some some free agent -y, uh, things that are making the rounds in connection, particularly with Bob Melvin coming on. All those XAs, yeah. you know, are out there in the market. But yeah. Lionel, I want to go back to the thoughts you had on the on the the bulk innings uh, question. We'll, we'll definitely get to the what day does Matt Chapman sign a deal with the Giants uh, conversation here, and... or Sonny Gray? Is Sonny Gray one of those guys too? Uh... Right? You know, if you. <laughs> Josh Donaldson, right? I'm kidding. I'm, I'm not throwing every guy who ever played for Bob Melvin out there. But uh, I wanted to go to the bulk innings conversation because one thing that we touched on when we first started doing these K-Raj podcasts together were the Giants' development of pitchers through the minor leagues where you're limiting innings, you're restricting pitch count. It just, you know, once you get to the major leagues and then you can follow the Logan Webb path, but Logan Webb was kind of the prototype for a new era of Giants player development. I, I think that's something along the lines of what you told me when we were talking about the way that they develop pitchers. And now you've got a change in pitching coaches and a change mm -hmm. in manager from, you know, Gabe Kapler to Bob Melvin, and maybe more importantly for Giants pitchers, Andrew Bailey and Brian Bannister to Brian Price, 
who is very old school and came across as such in his interview with Andrew Baggerly. I thought it was really well done by Baggs, the questions that he asked on The Athletic. And I understood Brian Price's point of view on a lot of things, you know, valuing the innings mm -hmm. that starters give you. I'm curious if you think that we see that throughout the organization where guys who maybe were ticketed to throw 65 to 75 pitches a game are going to be asked at the minor league level to throw 85 to 95 more than they were in the past because the Giants want to develop guys who can come up and give them six innings as opposed to pitchers who are being worked in at three and a third or four and a third. Mm -hmm. I mean, that was the first thing I thought of when I read that uh, really excellent interview that you referred to. I mean, one thing Price said pretty directly is, how do you ask a guy to throw 120 pitches in the majors if you need to, if he's throwing 60 in the minors? And I think we did see that with Kyle Harrison's debut. I mean, he threw by far the most pitches he's ever thrown this year uh, in, in two or three consecutive major league outings, and he wasn't as effective after that for a while. It is a question. Can you bring guys up and say, okay, go six innings, go seven innings, if you're asking him to go four innings in the minors? And so it will be interesting if there's a course correction and player development driven by this change at the major league level. Um, I think the Giants are pretty good at, at cohesiveness and collaboration. So certainly there's going to be conversations going on, oh, yeah. I think, between Price and, and the people and Kyle Haynes and the people running player development. Uh, but it does seem to me, and Pete Patilla is all involved in that, it does seem to me that what Price was saying was not the philosophy that we saw from top to bottom in the organization next year. So there's going to be some adjustment, I think, coming in this year. And I'm excited because it presents – for maybe the first time in the Farhan era in San Francisco, true friction that could exist in the organization. Because yeah. I don't think that friction existed when Farhan came in and Brian Sabian was still in the organization and Bruce Bochy was still the manager. I think that they just looked at this as a situation where, okay, everyone's going to make things work. Farhan's going to stay out of the way a little bit. He's not going to fully implement his process throughout the organization. Boach is going to have, you know, the reins of the major league roster. And then you see the dramatic shift headed into 2020 where, you know, it's Gabe Kapler, Gabe Kapler's young up and coming unproven and, you know, innovative staff that takes over. And a lot of people liked, you know, that innovation at the minor league level and, and the different approach to player development, but what it has yielded is still up for debate. And I think will continue to be up for debate for the next few years. And now you've got, Someone in Brian Price who, look, I, I think those conversations could get really interesting because <laughs> the one thing you can say about him is he seems to be a pretty opinionated, strong-minded individual. And it, giving him someone from AAA who has never thrown more than four innings before and telling him that he's your starting pitcher for the day when a guy goes, you know, when Ross mm -hmm. Stripling goes on the 15 day IL for the second time next season. And you've got to have Keaton Wynn, who's only thrown 60 pitches at triple A come up and give you six innings twice. I think, I think Brian Price is going to have a lot to say about that. And I think we could see true friction next year. And I think friction in a good sense. I mean, friction mm -hmm. is not a, not a pejorative, right? It, yeah. it's, it helps. Uh, you learn. It helps you learn from different ideas. It's that's right. It's great to have everyone in sync. Kyle Shanahan, John Lynch on the San Francisco 49ers in sync with whatever they do. But you learn from different backgrounds, different perspectives. I learned from you talking about Giants baseball in the 1980s. And I, I hope that one day I'll be able to teach you something on this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> 
every day we talk, Carrie, you teach me something. But yes, it it yeah, I, I've said this before. If everybody at the table comes from the same background and has the same perspective, you're missing something. It's yep. just and and I think there was a degree to which maybe Farhan and Gabe were too like-minded and there wasn't this, this, this frisson that can lead to innovation. Um, but how it's going to play down the system will be a fascinating story this year. I, I can tell you that if it leads to longer, longer uh, inning stints for the pitchers, a lot of pitchers will be happy about that. Um mm-hmm. At least the starters who wouldn't, uh, I mean, yeah. Mason black, another guy, great arm, but, you know, he didn't go six innings in the minors this year, and he probably could have. Yeah. Um, and so, it would have been nice to find out what that looks like when, you, when you're when you tired, when you're yeah. not optimizing your performance. You know, what do you do when your back's up against the wall and there's a runner at second base? It's the start of the sixth inning, and you're protecting a one-run lead. I think it would be really cool to find out what Mason Black could do in that situation. You are not the only one who thinks it's really cool. I can tell you for a fact, based on conversations I had, that scouts of other teams really would like to see what Mason Black uh, or or Carson Wisenhunt or whoever does in that that circumstance. And if you get into a t- place where you're trying to talk trades, I know I've said this before and people are like, I don't know. You know, that scout may have seen somebody else on a different team who went seven innings and said, I have that box checked. I know what it looks like. And maybe I feel a little more conviction over there than I do with this guy who left after four, even though I loved what I saw in those four. So Yeah. So I wonder now that we know what we do about the Giants changes to their coaching staff, to the major league manager job with Bob Melvin replacing Gabe Kapler if we're going to see changes to the philosophical approach of how they seek out players through free agency and trades, maybe this is our segue into the guys who they could add to this roster and maybe the types of players they should be targeting. And I brought up Matt Chapman, obviously anyone with it, or you brought up Matt Chapman, obviously anyone with a Bob Melvin connection is going to be rumored <laughs> as a candidate to come to San Francisco, but at, ha, start this conversation off for us. You know, how do you see this playing out? Well, I, I mean, Farhan did say, and I guess it was the end of season press conference, they do, that they're going to be looking to long-term contracts this year. Right there, that's a pretty big philosophical change. That It's not going to be the one year and an option um, that we've seen so much of. So that leads you either to long-term contracts, which they have shied away from mostly, or young guys like Yamamoto and, and Lee who are both 25 or the trade market, you know, you can't really do long-term contracts in the free agency. If you're not shopping, you know, at the top shelf, you don't do long-term deals for <laughs> Lance Lynn. <laughs> <laughs> Lance Lynn's, it's so funny because Jeff Samarja did get a long-term contract from the Giants and I don't see much of a difference between those two guys. He did give bulk. I tell you, Jeff Samarja gave bulk. The difference, I I don't want to get us on a total. The difference between Lynn and Samarja, and I remember Brian Saving talking about this, was that Samarja was famous for not having many innings on his arm because he'd played, you know, football at college and he was a reliever coming up and he converted to starting late and he was supposed to be a fresh arm who was going to age well. Didn't turn out like that, but he, he did give innings. Hell of an athlete too. Um, yes, he was a tremendous athlete and maybe underappreciated slightly. Yeah. Um, but let's go back to Matt Chapman. Here's what's interesting to Matt Chapman for me. And you look at JD Davis and you look at all the metrics, look at the numbers and the offense and the defense, and then you look at Matt Chapman. You could say 
it's not that much of an upgrade and it's not that much of an upgrade and, and Chapman's older and uh, may, may start aging, but maybe the gap in that, what upgrade exists there is important. Yeah. Maybe you're going from the kind of guy who is just slightly below average player to somebody who is more reliably just above average starter. And in that gap, there's a lot of upgrading that can be done up and down the roster. Yeah, I, I like that idea a lot. And I do think that it's really important because I think that the difference between someone who is slightly worse and slightly better than average really becomes pronounced over 162 games. Yeah. I think that very different in other sports, you know, where you're playing, say, 12 or 16 games. But if you play 162 and your OPS plus is 110 as opposed to 95, that is a material difference. And we know that the defense where the Giants coached up J.D. Davis into becoming the defender that he was, uh, and they don't have Kai Correa to do that anymore, but mm -hmm. we know that Matt Chapman is coming with that natural ability to do that. And so I think that getting those guys under contract, like Mitch Hanniger was not an above average player. Right. There were a lot of flaws. Michael Conforto, again, hadn't played the year before. There is a significant difference in my mind in getting that type of player, which which to me is an exciting prospect. Also, for the first time in a long time, you'd have someone who would be here at least four years as a position player, I think. That's what it will mm -hmm. take to get the deal done. Absolutely. And you could buy his jersey. I don't think the Giants have been able to sign a hitter, trade for a hitter. Maybe Mike Yastrzemski has been that guy, but it's really hard to buy the jersey of an arbitration eligible player <laughs> and someone who, you know, he hit the major league level at 29 years old. I, I think that that makes it difficult. Whereas if it's Matt Chapman, I think it's someone who you say, okay, there's a press conference to announce the signing. Giants haven't had that in a while. And there's a jersey sale. People would buy it. And I think that if he's the marquee edition, probably not the best off season, but I'm not opposed to the Matt Chapman idea like a lot of people I think are. Yeah, I'm not either. There, there is a term that you do not much hear these days in baseball, uh, just because the notion's kind of gone away. But you used to hear people referred to as uh, uh, second division players or second division regulars, um, which is, you know, the guys who filled the starting lineups of the teams at the bottom of the of the standings uh there was the first division was the guys in going for the playoffs and the second division was the ones who were out of it all the time there is a difference slightly between having a second division regular and a first division regular and and scouts make that distinction all the time and i think what you saw in the 2023 giants was there just too many second division regulars uh up and down that roster which is kind of how they got to <laughs> where they finished up i'm a little so you could make the same argument about cody bellinger actually um yeah. as a guy who could be an upgrade could be expensive um i'm a slightly more leery of bellinger than i am for chapman and I'm, I'm not sure if i can put my finger on exactly why if it's sort of that the hit data wasn't there last year or just the wild swings and variants we've seen from him um if you commit 150 200 million dollars or something you kind of want to have a sense of what your baseline is. And I, I don't know that I have that for Bellinger. Where are you on, on uh legacy giant, good old legacy giant, Cody Bellinger. <laughs> uh, I think you can check the records. The day that Cody Bellinger got called up, I think I tweeted a future hall of famer. Uh, and he's the <laughs> only prospect I've ever seen who I've given that label to, but I've always loved the athleticism 
But again, you bring up the very important point that if you're about to give someone a nine-figure contract, that the ceiling might be incredibly high, but the floor is so low and we've seen the floor. Yeah. Whereas if, if we've seen the floor for Matt Chapman in some of these terrible months that he had as a Toronto Blue Jay, look, there were great months, there were terrible months, and ultimately it was a pretty good regular season. But I think that the floor is significantly lower for Bellinger yeah. and the point where that could really be a boat anchor of a contract, not even six years in, you know, like two years in if things go poorly. Whereas, you know, if you're giving Chapman a five or six year deal, you're probably getting three solid years out of that. It's probably not aging as poorly as if you give Bellinger the eight to 10 year deal and you see the worst possible outcome two years in. Yeah, you feel like there is just a greater certainty in even even the decline, even Chapman's decline. You feel like it'll be a, a little more predictable as he goes down than than the I think Wild it looks more like the Evan Longoria decline than you know uh, a Denard Span decline where you just can't <laughs> play the guy in center field at all. That that was a decline. You know, I watched Denard Span playing for the Nats almost immediately before he went to the Giants, and I would never have guessed that he would look like somebody who didn't know which hand to put his glove on basically yeah. <laughs> that was surprising um okay carrie we got we got five minutes left on this uh on this recording uh if we if we want to hold to that um what what do you want to do where do you want to go in the time well, we have remaining i i think i i want to ask you if there's one free agent out there right now who you see outside of matt chapman as kind of the Above average player, I'll, I'll even include guys who maybe aren't Otani or Yamamoto in this, who you see as someone who would just be a great fit to give it minimum a four-year deal to. Who is that right now in free agency? It can be Otani. It can be, but I, I think that'll that'll take 14 for 572. Um, it it can be anyone, but I mean, I, I I think Otani is a great fit for anybody who who lines up a baseball team. Um and I don't think the Giants are probably going to get him, but I mean, and most everyone's not going to get him. So that's, I'm not trying to be a pessimist there. Um, I do think that, well, I mean, saying Yamamoto is not, I think the most creative thing in the world, but getting a top line or a guy you predict is going to be a top of the line, even if he's like Aaron Nola, you mm -hmm. know, as an, as a good, really good number two guy, getting a 25 year old pitcher with his resume. Um, Giants have always shied away from long-term deals to pitchers because they don't like the aging curve. 25 is, should be four years of prime for mm -hmm. this guy. And if you're, and I, I don't know if he's going to try and max out the long-term immediately, or if he's going to do, you know, maybe five years and get back out at 30 and see if there's another deal. I don't know how his market's going to play out, um, but I think he is maybe after Otani, the guy who has got to be aggressively sought after. And I kind of like Lee, who I don't think should be that expensive. Also 25 probably can be got for, you know, five years or so four or five yeah. years and grow into it. Um I'm not sure what kind of a bigger year is going to be because it seems like he's very limited power. Um, but he's another guy I feel really good about. I don't know the position player side. 
there aren't a lot of long-term deals out there. I don't think uh, once you get past Chapman and, and Bellinger, I don't know where the long-term deals are exactly in this market. Yeah. I, I'll echo the Yamamoto sentiment and say, if I was willing to overpay anyone and the giants are at the stage where they probably have to overpay to get a star, Yamamoto would be the guy because of everything you just said, 25 years old, you know, you're not giving up a, a comp pick in the draft to sign him. You're almost never going to see a free agent pitcher hit the market at 25 and the track record of pitchers coming over with his success in Japan is tremendous. And he may not be the most exciting pitcher to ever come to the United States from Japan or Korea, but I think you look at what he's accomplished, the ability to go deep into games, the ability to rack up innings, miss bats. And I think that at worst, like you said, a number two type, and if that costs you $250 million, you know what? That's that's the price of doing business to improve your team. When if Farhan said it at the general manager meetings, the Giants missing the playoffs for the second year in a row has been unacceptable. And if you want to get back to the mark of being acceptable, you got to spend your way out of it, in my opinion. Yamamoto is the guy who I feel most confident spending your way out of it with. I mean, I would also be very happy to overpay Otani. I don't know what overpay is in his case. <laughs> exactly. But, I mean, here's the thing about Otani, when he came to the majors and I'd been following his career since he was in high school, I knew a lot about this guy. When he came to the majors, I thought no way, no way should he be hitting. Just put him on the mound, take the arm, you know, get that out of him. You can't do both. Well, Otani can do both, which tells me I don't want to put a ceiling on anything he can do. I don't want to say how he's going to age. I don't want to say what his worth is if he if he stops pitching. Um, there is no ceiling you can put on this guy, and that's what he's proven. Uh, and that means he's a he's a unicorn. And whatever it takes to get a unicorn, uh, he may choose somewhere else. But it wouldn't be because I didn't make the best offer I could possibly make for sure. Yeah, I'm with you on that. So we'll we'll do this again. We will do this again soon. Uh, I was on a little bit of a, a vacation break there. Roger's out. <laughs> we didn't even touch on the Arizona Fall League. So. Oh my goodness! Yeah, it's going to we'll, be the we'll, Arizona Spring League before we. <laughs> we'll, we'll touch on our world travels soon on the next K Raj podcast. Carrie, have a wonderful Thanksgiving. Uh, I'll talk to you uh, in December. Thank you. You too, Roger. All right, and thanks to all the listeners. Have a great Thanksgiving, everybody. See you.